Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Welcome to another episode of the Mo Show podcast. Uh, I'm not trying to put on like a, uh, I was going to say sexy voice um, <laughs> because I'm not. <laughs> I'm actually coming down, as I just told you. Yeah. Uh, I'm coming down where I came down with this horrific cough from a week ago. Uh, but I think it sounds good on radio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like this sultry intro. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to miss it when I lose it, but uh, but that remains to be seen. My guest tonight is is an old friend, super talented individual, mashallah, tabarakallah alayha. I think from the Saudis that I know, she was the first I've seen on screen, uh, dating back to Wajda and, and, and maybe even before that. Uh, and um, Ahad is a, an actor. I think that's probably how she started off. She'll she'll continue after I'm done attempting to introduce <laughs> uh, screenwriter as well and uh, director. She's done a few shorts and now she's doing her first feature film in her hometown of Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Ahad, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. We've been wanting to do this for a while, and I'm so happy that I get to share this moment with you here and now. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, how did it feel to come full circle, you know, to starting in the movie business when, when you did, I'm going to guess, what, 15 years ago? Uh, a little bit more than that. I'm not good at math. So uh, you could say I started in 2005. <clears throat> 18 years ago. Yeah. And to go on the journey that you did, God knows where. And, you know, we really, I really want to know all about that, the nitty gritty details of, of, of your you know early days. To come to your hometown and, and be shooting a feature film with, as you mentioned, 70 or so uh, members of your crew, uh, looking at that whole like timeline and, and full circle, how does, how does it make you feel? I mean, it's definitely very humbling, um, beautiful, ecstatic. Like it's one of those moments where you dream of those moments but then you don't know, you know, once they start, once it happens, it's a whole other game, you know, like I never imagined that we would end up here, honestly, like especially with when I started and uh, everyone who, you know, was against it or was like Majnuna or she's crazy. What are you going to do with it? Where are we going to go with this? But for some reason or another, I would say the grace of God. I continued and because of that I am here today so it's it's very hard to find a word to describe the feeling because it's um it's overwhelming did anyone ever accuse you during your growing up years that uh, you were a rebel oh yeah you used to get it a lot yeah and I wasn't really a rebel I was just labeled a rebel and then I kind of lived up to that I don't know how to explain it like looking back it's not like that was something that I wanted to do but I was just always very curious and very inquisitive. So if you don't want me to do something, you got to tell me why I can't do it. And if you don't give me a good enough reason, then I'll go and try it out for myself. You know, I'm one of those people who has to go and try it. But I think I was labeled a rebel because I was also the only girl between four boys. Um, and, you know, I'm, I think I inherited a very sharp tongue. I, <laughs> I'm not going to say that I got it. Um, I got it. I was the only or the first woman in my family to to be like that. So um, I just I think because I grew up with four boys and I was teased a lot and I was bullied, you know, they, I was one of the boys. I was never like the princess at home. So I always challenged things. And I think a lot of people saw that as rebelling. Um, 
but I had a cause, I guess. <laughs> Probably gave you thick skin. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm so grateful for it. I wouldn't have it any other way at all. I mean, it's been um, the whole life journey, you know. Um, I'm 42 now, and I can say there's a lot of boxes that have been ticked uh, throughout my life, you know, and even... <clears throat> Losing my parents at a young age, you know, I lost my dad at 14 and my mom at 19, and they both um, died of cancer. So it was it was a very crazy, crazy couple of years, my teenage years. But I'm so um, grateful that I actually experienced death at that age because it reframed a lot of things for me. And it set me on a different course. Had I been, um, or maybe, I mean, not to wish, I mean, I wish they, was ar- they were around uh, obviously but now i've lived more of my life without them than with them i can look back and see it as something on a spiritual level something that was really a gift in a way um because it gave me it gave me freedom i didn't have figures of authority who could challenge me even though i had brothers and stuff but i didn't have those two main figures of authority so it allowed me a lot of room and it also um pushed me to question a lot of things you grow up quicker when you lose a parent you are forced to swim in the deep end and um and in the long term i think that really puts you in a position where you're stronger because you've matured earlier i am speaking from experience i I lost my father as well at the age of 21. you know the time it's 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 hell yeah it's chaos i don't know if you noticed it i felt that i was growing up or my maturity levels or my independence and that's the word i'm trying to hit on my independence uh, just became a thing at an age where my peers weren't as independent as i was a hundred percent i mean it's funny because when my dad passed away my mom's um, pretty much like message to me was you need to go and get an education and be independent you should never rely on anyone including a man i never want you to end up in a position i'm in where she was married to my dad for 40 years and when he passed she didn't even know how to go to the bank because she relied on him so she was never the kind to tell me to go get married go find you know she was like no go find what you need to do and i think she really knew who i was more than anyone else she knew that I, I had this drive um, to go and do it. So it's funny, like you said, I matured a lot yeah. earlier than, than my circle of friends. And, and um, I think in the back of my mind, there was always, I need to make you know ends meet. I need to do something with my life. I have to be responsible for myself. Otherwise, there isn't a cushion to fall back on. Yeah. Huh. My older brother told me, he's like, I'm going to give it to you straight you're on your own. And that was some of the best advice I've ever gotten. Mm. I mean, on a spiritual level, that's how it comes. You come alone and you leave alone. Yeah, yeah. It's not to say that you don't have people who love you around you and you, you don't recognize that you get the help. But I think on a spiritual soul level, um, that is really the hard truth. Mm, it is. And, and no one's coming to save you. No. A, a lot of people think that, you know, you're going ha- to be saved soon. That's not true. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's something that you... <clears throat> are conditioned to believe, especially I think as a woman, because I had that for a while where I kept thinking, oh, someone will come and save me. But um, it's funny when you show up for your own self <laughs> and how that feels too, when you put yourself to, you know, 
begin to challenge. I think it's funny because um, my mom passed away when I was 19. Your dad passed away when you were 21. And for me, my 20s was all about finding out what I really don't want and like testing all the theories that I thought I should or my life, how my life should be or the choices I should make. And they're all inherited in a, you know, and conditioning. And then you reach the stage where you're like, no, I want to do my own thing. Yeah. Uh, find yourself. You find yourself, yeah. exactly. Going back to um, how your mom, after 40 years, she couldn't even open a bank account. I think that was a generational problem. Mm -hmm. My mom as well. What's amazing is that I'm willing to bet that that problem doesn't exist as much today. Oh, yeah. With how independent women are. Um, one of the first things you said when you walked in, you're like, it's just so, so much freedom comes with not having to wear a habaya, the option of that. So uh, you can just see that not only have women become more independent with what they can wear, but independent with they don't have the problem that you and my mother had from back in the day. Exactly. And that's why it's actually amazing. I mean, I think about my grandmother who got married at the age of, I mean, according to her, it was nine. Some people say it was 11, but whatever it is, I mean, and two generations later, I'm like a filmmaker living all over the world doing all these things. It's amazing. And without their um, sacrifices and uh, their empowerment, at least in my own personal experience, I wouldn't be um, who I am today. So, and it's amazing that my mom actually wanted to empower me. She didn't feel like she needed to, um, you know, cut off my wings. It's funny because when you started off, it was deemed or perceived as taboo. Mm -hmm. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. A hundred percent. I was I was labeled all the names you can Everything. imagine. Yeah, yeah. We, we won't get into it. Yeah. Um, and today you're being celebrated. <laughs> and I say that because I saw how film was celebrated in in, in at the Red Sea Film Festival a few months back. Mm. Uh, so I'm 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 touching here on the culture element that in a span of 17, 18 years, you went from what is this godforsaken profession to come walk the red carpet with us. I know you didn't go for, for, for personal reasons. No, no but I was there last year. This mm. year you weren't, mm -mm. the one before you were. Yeah, I okay. was um, a jury member actually. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, in, in your wildest dreams, did you ever expect that, you know, the, the thing that is closest to your heart, which is film, I was, I'm gonna guess, would be celebrated the way it's being celebrated in Saudi today? No. And that's why I say the whole experience has been so humbling that it actually happened in my own lifetime. Usually you hear these stories after people have died yeah. and they're celebrated. Yeah. So it's it's amazing that the speed of things, how things went. And it's very hard to put it in word because I have to say in the beginning I was very cynical because I had to pay the price for many, many years. Not only that, like I really had to go and establish myself outside of the country. Um, and work there rather than come back here and do it here. So it's just amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by everything that is happening here and, and the speed. But I guess there isn't something that stays, you know, change is, is part of life. And um, I'm so grateful that I get to experience it and to live it, um, not just for me, but also for the generations that are coming, you know, like, if, you know, my nieces and nephews go to the cinema now. You know, it's it's pretty amazing. That wasn't even part of our vocabulary growing up. Yeah, yeah. I, I go I go once every two weeks. Yeah. If, you know, just to have that option, and and it does come down to 
you know, a quality of life, which is a big pillar in, in, in Vision 2030, is, is the quality of life, the options uh, that, that, that those in first world countries have. What don't we have here? Okay, they have one, two, three, four, five, six. Let's instill that over here. Let's create a culture where music is acceptable, where film is celebrated, where it can just go on forever. Nothing speaks better for a culture than art. Yep. Nothing. Yeah, brings Nothing. people together. Yeah, no, but even if you want to say anything, like look at how Hollywood influenced the whole world. Look at how South Korea right now with everything they're putting out. Soft power. Uh, exactly, it's soft power. That's how you, you do it. And the thing is, what's amazing is that we do have the stories. We do have the talent. We have it, you know, and unlike the rest of, I would say, the the rest of the Gulf, we have numbers. We have big time numbers, you know. So it's so nice to see, you know, um, the country celebrating that and endorsing that and enjoying that and exporting that instead of living in this sheltered cocoon where we're so afraid of, you know, and like everything. It's funny because like even if you look at it and look back, Everything was black and white, even the way we were dressed. You know, the women were black, the men were in white. But then once you open the door, right, and you go into someone's private space, there's a whole world. Colorful one. Completely. <laughs> full of, full of, full of many, 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 many stories and um, humans, like anywhere else in the world. Yeah. I think that's also part of it is like I've... I can't tell you the number of times. I mean, before 9-11, it was like, okay, Saudi Arabia, where? You know, camels and oil and stuff. And then after 9-11, it became terrorism and, and so on. And we so were the villain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I... And the world ate it up. Yeah, I was in New York when 9-11 happened. I witnessed it. I was on the street. On, on the day? On the day. I was walking to school. I went to Parsons, which was... It's it's on 14th Street. So you look down Fifth Avenue and you see... Lower Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw the first plane. Uh, I experienced the first tower collapsing. Um, I ran home and a week later, I, I mean, it was crazy. I was asked to speak on behalf of those who committed those crimes and explain why they did those by crimes. Who? By school? one of my teachers, yeah. She was like, you're Arab, you're Saudi. Why are they doing this? I'm 20 years old. <laughs> How would I know why they're doing this? That is a joke. It's a joke. And you know, I never reflected back on that until recently. And I was like, that was messed up. That was really messed up. And that was when I think part of me was trying to hide. And, you know, I'm not like the Saudis. I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm not like them, you know, because that was the image that was there. And then anytime I say I'm Saudi, it's like, you know, I'm like a science experiment. You know, do you do you cover up? Do you do this? Do you do that? Do you do this? You know, and you're like, I'm just human. Just like you. Just like you. Yeah. Um, so all these things that I'm so glad that we can put out there. And right now, I'm not the only Saudi who's doing film. There's so many, so many talented people. There's so much stuff that's happening right now. And that's the way it should be, you know. So it's so nice to see it happening in our lifetime. But you're one of the trailblazers. I mean, a lot of them are doing it because they saw you. Um, you know, I had like your, your your name became, especially with with Wajda, your name became synonymous with with film. With oh, that's Saudi Arabia's first female actor. Uh, so any ones that I see today who are entering the space, 
I, I got to feel that that's because they saw you. I mean, it's a great honor. And I, I just did what I love doing. And yeah. if I can open up doors for so many people, that's all I can hope for. You know, I don't think of it as, I did not think I, I want to do this because I want to be the first. I did it because I loved it. Because you loved it. Yeah. yeah. It's organic. It's organic. Yeah. You know, the whole experience has been so organic. I can't tell you there was a moment where I decided I was going to do this. I really applaud that. I really applaud that because imagine how many people just didn't have, like would have rather have succumbed to society's demands than say, no, I'm going to do what makes me happy. You either fall in line and respect what I'm going to do or get out of my face. Uh, at a time when there was a lot of pushback on what you were doing. And now all of a sudden, 17, 18 years later, after 2005, when you started, when you debuted, it's all acceptable and, and an honorable profession to the point that we have a Red Sea Film Festival. Mm. And I think that's what we have here. And But I also think that we have to be patient. And just going back to what you're saying, like had I not suffered for so many years, um, I wouldn't appreciate what I'm doing right now. And uh, I wouldn't have known that I really loved it. Because this, what we do, you gotta really love what you do. You really gotta love it. It's, it's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. Um, and you also have to ask yourself why you're doing it. Because oh, I came in thinking something and throughout the years that has changed um, drastically, to be honest, you know, because I think in the beginning, it's like the fame and this and that, you know, that package, the glittery package that attracts you from far away. But once you get into it, um, it's not, it's, it's a, you know. It's work. Yeah, it's work. It's work. It's work. And, and you're very lucky if you end up like that. You're actually very, very lucky. And maybe I don't even want that. To me, it's, I want my work to be famous. I don't care. You don't want you to be famous. Yeah, yeah I hear you on yeah. that. Yeah. Any reason behind why you are in the seat of the director today and not in front of the camera? Funny enough, I started off as a director. You started off as a Yeah, because so the whole story started, um, I was studying in New York um, at Parsons School of Design. I was studying animation. And um, my senior year, um, I was like, I can't do this. I appreciate it, but I can't do it. I don't like it. Which I don't part? enjoy it. the animating and sitting behind and the technical part of all of it. The only part I, I enjoyed was writing the stories. Um, so to get away with what I wanted to do for my thesis and not have to sit for hours behind a computer animating something, I started to do a mix of like live action and animation as my thesis project. So that was my first experience with the camera. And then I was like, and I took a couple of film theory classes and stuff, and I started to get into it, but I wasn't still 100% because, like I said, like growing up here, that's just not even a, an option. Yeah. Um, but then I didn't want to come back. I wasn't prepared to come back to Jiddah, so I was like, let me go to film school. <laughs> you know, I'll buy another year. And literally, I started, um, I walked in the first day, and we worked for 12 hours, and I did not complain once. And I was like, huh. That's something. <laughs> That's something. I haven't complained. Um, so I started off as a director. Um, and then I started to act in my classmates' films. Um, and then I met um, a good friend now um, who was studying uh, filmmaking at NYU. And she was doing her thesis project. And I went in initially to translate um, a script. 
And she just looked at me and she's like, do you want to audition? And I was like, sure. And it was the role of a suicide bomber. Um, and the film did quite well. And I really enjoyed, you know, the acting part of it. So that's kind of how it happened. And I was like, no one's going to find out about this short film. So I'll just keep doing it, you know. Um, and then I was, I got away with it because I was like, okay, I, my ex, my first um, husband was American. So I was like, he wouldn't mind. And come back to Ahli, I'm like, he's my mahram now. So you guys <laughs> got nothing on yeah. me. <laughs> Speak to him. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then that's how it happened. And then I went to acting school. I uh, did a two-year uh, program with uh, Bill Esper, who's a well-renowned um, acting teacher who passed away a couple of years ago. Bless his soul. Um, and I did proper theater acting. But he gave me one of the best pieces of advice. He looked at me and he said, it's called show business, not show art. So this is a business. So what you're doing here, getting these great roles, playing them, doing them, enjoying them, that's not what the real world is about. When you go out into the industry, it's a whole different ball game. And you're lucky if you get a role that you love, you know, um, and to make a living out of it as well. So is there any truth to how many people are in L.A. hoping, working, striving to land an acting job? So many of them end up doing jobs that they don't want to do in hope to one day be picked up uh, and, and, and make it into the movie scene. They yeah. just park themselves there in, 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 in hope that one day they can. Yeah, I mean, I admire their their courage to do that. I, I I went to LA after I graduated and I was like, this is not for me. Mm. I can't, first of all, I can't be surrounded by people who are doing only the same thing that I'm doing or trying to do the same thing. Um, and obviously the other reason was it's just too far away mm. from everything that I know. Um, nor do I want to reach a stage where I'm willing to sacrifice any of my integrity, values, needs, or whatever it is just to do something, yeah. you know? And especially at that point, being an Arab woman, there are a lot of people who try to target you to get you to do something that's controversial, that's provocative, that's this, that's that. And I'm so lucky I never gave in to any of that. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Saying no is, uh, is was one of the hard things in life. Mm -hmm. And there's a direct correlation to quality of life and how many times you said no. Yeah. And you know what? The other thing is I've learned rejection is God's protection. God, I love that. We think that when we're rejected, life is over. My God, what are we going to do now? You know, what other options do we have? But if you trust God and you speak to God, you pray to God, you need to trust that he has your best interest in heart. A hundred percent. Not only that, like I grew up here in Jeddah. Mm. Like <laughs> if it weren't for God, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, you know? So I got to this stage. So if I don't trust him or her by now, it's... You're back in your hometown shooting a feature film with 70 people as, a, as, as in totaling crew. If that's not God's work, I don't know what is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm shooting a story that's so close to my heart with a phenomenal team. Like I'm not, my crew are not just any crew. They're literally putting and pouring their hearts and souls and everything for this to happen. So uh, there's something that's, you know, like I keep just, uh, especially the first couple of weeks, I was just breaking down and crying, crying of happiness, not sadness, mm. because I'm j I was just so humbled and overwhelmed by 
all these things that are happening. And that I get to tell the story yeah. about Jitta and um, about someone who was very important to me in my life. Uh, so it's 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 really nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's most challenging, I feel, is when you are in your head and you just can't get it right, but you have to because the whole the crew is there, the director is there, and you need to find it from within you to deliver. But deep down, you know, you start having conversations with yourself and you're suffering in your head. Um, and, and, I've, and I've felt it a few times in this podcast where I'm just not feeling myself on a day. And I'm so embarrassed in front of my one guest. And I can't imagine what you have to go through in front of an entire film crew. Yeah, that's where the skills come in or like the tools that you learn. I mean, I think acting in one word is listening. So if you stop listening to yourself and listening to the actor in front of you or whoever you're doing the scene with, then you can work off them. Um, that's the most important thing. And then breathing. You have to be able to... Because the minute you hold your breath, um, you can experiment with this and, and try it out. But the minute you stop breathing, that's when you're stuck in your head. And then when you realize after a little bit, you're like, <sighs> you know, you're like, oh my God, I've been holding my breath for this long. Wow. Subconsciously so, holding yeah. it. So it's it's these different exercises. Also, um, with an actor, it depends who the director as well. The director can help you um, and guide you in ways or um, try to bring out something out of you. Um, I think that's the way I work is to establish the trust. I think the most important thing is for the actor to trust. If you don't feel safe in any environment, you won't be able to be vulnerable because that's the bottom line of acting. Is That's why people are paid so much money because they're actually willing to be vulnerable mm -hmm. in front of a camera. Yeah. Um, so it's a training thing. It's a skill thing. It's um, You have to have certain tools um, in your back to play with when these moments happen. And then there are bad days. They're just bad days where you just it's just not happening and you just got to accept them for yeah. what they are. We're not machines. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the chemistry is just off. Yeah. 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 The chemistry is off. The writing could be off. Um, like I said, you might not trust the director or what they're doing or what they expect to get out of you. Um, and I always tell um, all my actors, like, I need to know that you trust me and I'm trusting you to bring out something so that trust needs to be there um so, so for me my actors are so important especially when i'm directing yeah. are you hard on yourself if something's not working do you look at yourself first yeah i think i'm learning to soften i think i'm just beginning to soften comes with maturity right yeah 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 and with with age as well i think you just don't have the energy anymore yeah. um i also had um uh, a son three years ago um, and I think that loosened a lot of that stuff because I just don't have time to think about myself anymore having kids I think teaches you tolerance patience every bloody adjective in the dictionary a hundred percent I've been a yogi for so long and like I had so many theories right <laughs> until having him I got to put all of that theory to practice and yeah. it's it's yeah probably improved your negotiation skills a hundred percent yes distraction skills as well distraction <laughs> skills <laughs> i notice you're not big on social media any reason why you chose god bless you for choosing a private life 
is it something that you consciously tell yourself i just want to do so little of me out there which by the way i'm honored that you have come on the show um is something you decided or you just how is it that you're so away from that so four years ago four or five years ago now something like that um i just started to think about how much time i'm spending and what's going on and how much anxiety um being on these platforms uh, brought me uh, not only that like scrolling through a feed i'm the inner dialogue is not um let's just say it's not a nice inner dialogue um i have to say there's a lot of judgment resentment this 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 and you flip-flop between so many different things and then you're drained at the end of the day and i lost my concentration i'm an avid reader i love reading um and i stopped reading because my attention span was gone. But then I attended a talk by um, Thomas Friedman and Yuval Harari, you know, uh, who wrote Sapiens. Yeah. And they were talking about where technology is going and social media and all that sort of stuff. And then that kind of just turned me off, really turned me off because behind all of this, let's connect, which we're not really connecting. We're, more connected and than ever and more disconnected than ever um i was just like I just, i'm just gonna bow out of this i i need my peace of mind is so much more important um and also my privacy i think privacy is going to be one of those things that is just not easy to come by anymore you know you have a phone that tracks you have everything and to continuously put myself out there i'm not that kind of person i'm also very moody so <laughs> I cannot cater to um, a fan base outside of my work, like on in my daily life. I cannot keep posting and putting things and not only that, like inventing things, right? You're not even doing, I wasn't doing things for doing them. I was doing them to get a picture and then I had to write a nice caption and then how many likes and dislikes and that and this and that. And I don't know, it's just not my thing. And because I've been gone for so long, I don't like miss it at all. Like it's not something that I have to think about. Like now I look at it and I'm like. You've unlearned it. Yes, it's not in my system. It's not in my my habits, you know? And it's funny because right after that, I stopped taking photos. I looked at my phone and I was like, I'm not taking any photos. Selfies? No, yeah. I mean, I was never into them to begin <laughs> with, but, um, but I'm not just trying to capture the moments rather than experience them. I can actually just be there and experience it for what it is and enjoy conversations and um, use my time more than anything else for so much more that I'm interested in. So many follow-up questions. <laughs> Taking notes here. Um, from the... Um... Oh, and the last thing is... Please. I think as an actor or as an artist, for me, um, part of what I do is a mystery. If I'm constantly out there, where's the mystery? No, right? it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah. You don't leave anything for anyone. Mm. The scary thing that you picked up on, on the future of social media through Lex, you said it was? Uh, uh, Thomas Friedman, when I went to the lecture? Yes. Yes. I was thinking of Lex yeah. Friedman. Mm. Um, uh, it wasn't through the book Sapiens. He, he he wrote that, you said. Yes, but he gave this lecture and the topic was social media and technology and where we're going. Great. Was there something there that made you feel 
like a big takeaway that that was the operative bit of information that made you want to leave social media? Yeah, is that my phone and this app knows me better than I do. God. Because it's recording everything. And in many moments, we are not conscious. So it's recording my keystrokes, it's recording my information, it's recording what I'm looking at, how long I'm looking at, however many things, who I'm speaking with, the frequencies, everything. There's a whole profile of me that's out there that knows me more accurately than me. Mm. That's scary. It is scary. Because we know human beings and we weaponize everything. So how's that information going to be weaponized? Mm -hmm. And then I also sat down and I reflected, inshallah, at some point in the future, if I have grandchildren or whoever um you know comes after me if they go and search me and all this stuff comes out like privacy yeah and privacy privacy is so important to me it's so important imagine what the rich and famous today those who are sick of being famous imagine what they would pay for privacy Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's a double-edged sword. It is. Fame is a double-edged sword. It is. It gave you that house. It gave you that everything. And uh, in return, you got people chasing you like your astaghfirullah. I was going to say God, but you know. And that's uh, and that's something that you can see in the eyes of every famous person. They just, it's a chore. It's work. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's also like very hard to continuously try to keep up this image, right? Because... The public love to put something, someone up. You know, they raise them way up there, and then they're just so happy to knock them off. Yeah, fall from grace is like an epic story. Exactly, a fall from grace. Like, what? What did they do? What did they? But not only that. Like psychologically, like if you place your self worth outside of you, then you're not in control of it. It, it you you can be taken in any different direction that you want. True. Um, and your fans could say this, could say that, could do this. Could I mean, you've seen Black Mirror, right? The first episode. <laughs> so, um, Not that show. Yeah. So <laughs> there's so much that comes with it, and yeah. I'm willing to bow out and give up whatever it brings. Um, as long as I'm known within my industry and known as I know how to do a good job, that's all I care about, to be honest. Like, um, and continue to do what I love doing because it's not, I'm not one who enjoys the red carpet. <laughs> I'm not one who enjoys any of the other stuff um, that comes after making the film. I really enjoy the process of writing it, creating it, and then making it. That's where I love to be. I want to put a bookmark in, in this part because I want to get into the details of the whole creation of a picture but first i i want to go back and ask and, and, and tell you that getting yourself outside of social media has freed up so much mental capacity for you to focus on your craft you're not dealing with what person xyz said you're thinking of how can i put all of this together mm-hmm. and if we do one thing a month that is good for our mental health and frees up mental capacity, then that's a good thing. And that's something our future self will thank us for. Your ahad at 52, 10 years from now, will be very thankful for the ahad 
all of a sudden I'm a psychologist for the ahad who took the decision at 42 or 41 or 40 whenever you decided to get out of social media your future self is going to be very very happy that you did so I have a feeling yeah I, I've always had a feeling like in the beginning it was like there was a fight you know between me and my manager who I ended up firing um, about whether or not I should be on social media and her whole argument is that you need followers and my argument back was like I'm not a religion I don't want followers <laughs> um, so and I was so happy you know like I think when you listen to yourself and you honor yourself there's a I'm with you a feeling you know like a sakina yeah you know I'm just everything is in place so much happier and I'm also not just at the filmmaker I'm a mother I want to spend time with my kid as well. I want to show him that I'm not always on my phone because now it's so hard to even move them away from all these things. Um, and I love so many other things, you know, um, reading, history, you know, astrology, this, that, so many different things that I can use my time to do. And the other thing was like DJing. I don't do it professionally anything. It's just my little own hobby. I have my own decks, you know. And I found that while I was doing that, when I had social media, I would pick up and in between tracks, like start looking, you know, and then I'd miss my cues to spin the way I want to spin. So what kind of music? A house. Beautiful. Yeah. Deep house? Deep house disco, you know. How did I never know this about you? Because it's my own like closeted thing, you know. I've you don't do any gigs? No, I only did my wedding. <laughs> I love it. You DJ at your wedding, huh? I DJed at my wedding, and then I did one gig in Croatia. Wow. Yeah, which was really fun. It, my husband was supposed to do it, but um, he was like, my wife actually knows how to do this. So Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Nothing like uh, choosing a song and dropping it at the right time and seeing how the crowd reacted to a vision you had. Again, it touches on your creative production craftsmanship element that uh, that we discussed and it's not far from directing a movie no yeah yeah it's just it's different you know and music is music is my best friend it's always been there for I love me it. since i was a little kid you know um it's crazy so, how it can change a mood oh, if, if, you can play <laughs> with it crazy. so much yeah i don't know who said this but you know it's like when you're sad i listen to the lyrics when you're happy you listen to the beat you know when you're this when you're that like it gets me up in the morning. Never thought of it that way. It is true. You pick up on the words when you're sad. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of sit down and yeah. the lyrics and everything. Yeah, music is this. <clears throat> about the social media thing and I'm going to wrap mm. it up. And then I wanted to talk to you about the production journey. Uh, there was a famous moment, a historical moment in, in basketball and in the NBA. LeBron James just became the number one scorer in, in, in NBA of all time. Leading scorer. He just passed Karim Abdul-Jabbar, a record that was held for 38 years. Oh. On that shot, you have a shot from his back. So it's him, the ball, and then the rim, and you see the rows behind him, and you probably clock 50 rows. Within those 50 rows, and I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for putting the picture up, but maybe we can, we can put it up right now without uh, and giving credit to whoever took the picture. You see about 500 people about that each one of them with their phone in their hand. There's one gentleman on the first row, 70 years old. He's the owner of an NFL team. Uh, I forgot who, who he is. Sitting in the front row, and he's doing this. Enjoying the moment. 
everyone else had had their phone so that they can share that moment with people. And this was a historic moment that you can now only see it. You, you saw it through your phone on the day and you will now forever only be able to see it through your phone. Yeah. That guy lived the moment. There were good things about the generation we live in now, like how you said, you know, with our mothers, they weren't as independent as, as females today. But this 70-year-old guy was, was 40 years old when social media hit, so he's not as connected to his phone as, as our generation is. Mm. And there's just it speaks volumes to put the phone down, enjoy the moment, because you'll never be able to get that moment again. That shot, you will be able to see whenever you want, because it's going to be out there. Yeah. And that's the biggest shame. I, I, I just, it, it irks me about social media that we live through our screens as opposed to looking up and seeing the world. Yeah. Not only that, like the curation of your life, right? Like you're constantly curating your life. You're not living your life. Mm. You're constantly doing these whatever, <laughs> you know, be it going to specific places, capturing, constantly putting it all out there. But also like there's a danger. You don't own that information once you put it out there. Once you start posting, it's all these companies that own that information. So it's just something to think about. I'm not trying to freak people out, but I think with everything and especially with something like social media and, you know, the Internet and where everything is going, like there are no regulations yet. So until we reach a stage where there is some kind of um, regulation and some kind of um, privacy, which I don't think you'll be able to, it's, it's up to you. Um, it's very hard for me to like knowingly go and do this, you know? I do a lot of other crazy stuff um, in my life. And like with this, it's, uh, yeah. And privacy is so important to me. You know what's sad and depressing? You just made me realize that showing people how exciting your life is is more important than all of the above. I'll pretend to live this life. And and I'm pointing the finger at influencers specifically. Mm. I'm going to pretend to live this life even though, you know, I'm maybe not happy living it. But hey, let the world think I am. Yeah. And then they ask, where were the last? Where did the last ten years go? Exactly, and not only that. Like, if you're just relying on people to to do that, then validation. like I said, validation. It's like, and where's your self worth? Like, where do you draw the line? I, I don't honestly. I have no judgment against anyone. I just can make the choice for myself, and it just doesn't work for me. I'm, as I said, I'm super moody. Like, I wake I up. I love in that the you own that, by the way. Yeah, a lot I of mean, people would shy away from it. Oh no. <laughs> You're very honest with yourself. Yeah, huh? I'm very honest with myself and I'm very happy that I know myself and I don't expect myself. I used to um, not acknowledge that about myself and it only hurt me. Yeah, now, like, like I said, like it could be, and I have something called um, Romo, relief of missing out. <laughs> um, and as I get older, I'm getting more and more and more into it. Mm. Uh, I believe everyone is where they need to be. And I'm happy, even if my friends are out having a great time, I may be happy in my bed, you know, falling asleep. And after having a child, there's nothing more important in my life than sleep. Than sleep, <laughs> totally, yeah. I think uh, some of the most powerful people in the world are those that can enjoy time alone. You know, if you, can, if you had a day to do whatever you want, if you're spending that day alone, you're powerful. 
I love doing that. I think that's also part of my story, you know, because my parents passed away when I was young. I lived in New York for 14 years um, until I got married to my husband. Now I was living alone for 17 years. Mm-hmm. So I, that's kind of my how I operate. I and need New York is a lonely city. Uh, it could be. It could be. Yeah. Um, I call New York my my mama. <laughs> Took me in, embraced me, kicked my ass and then kicked me out. So uh, raised you. Yeah. And I'm so happy I went at the age that I did. I went at 17. I had the energy to put up and keep up with it, but there's absolutely no way that I can go back and live there now. Mm-hmm. And the last time I went, I was like, uh, too many noises. I think uh, the real full circle is moving back to Jeddah one day. Inshallah. Um, now that things are a lot more aligned with your line of work, mm-hmm. I, I, I can suspect that it'll be a smooth transition for you. Yeah, inshallah. I mean, I was the one who was a bit resistant to it in the beginning. Um, even my husband wants to come. He loves it here. He's um, half Palestinian, half Lebanese. So, and he loves that he has such a, that I come from such a big tribe, whether it be family or friends. And, and he loves all of that. So he wants us to come back. Um, and he spent mo- most of his life in the Arab world, um, in Dubai. So London has been a, a very, um, jarring transition for him mm-hmm. so inshallah Excellent. no one says never i used to say never but i know i'm like never never say never and i'm so happy that it's come full circle and i could you know heal without forcing that healing you know it just happened organically like i said i just trusted that they that moment would come and it came and it's it's really so beautiful yeah nothing ever forced ended up being good yeah. You know, when things just, you know, transpire organically, that's when you just know it's effortless, be it friendships, be it moves, be it episodes. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. And it's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when you keep trusting, I really believe in synchronicity. I believe in all these things because once you drop into, mm-hmm. you know, and once you really truly believe in that, um, you're not trying to go against the grain because I, I have to say I came from, I used to go against the grain, you know, I used to be like, it's my willpower that will make things happen. And um, I learned the very hard way. And now it's kind of like, no, everything's going to happen when it needs to happen. And um, reconnecting with nature has really helped me mm. with that because yep. you see it like it's not summer all year long. There are four different seasons, four different things that happen and cycles and things. And once you drop into that and you realize that we are part of nature, we're not separate, then you begin to understand cycles and how things happen. And at the end of the day, like I tell people, like even the people I work with, guys, chill out. We're not saving your lives. So it's okay if we don't get what we want today. We can wait till tomorrow. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Although in Jiddah, sometimes we get two seasons. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When I was growing up here, it was only one season. It was one season, yeah. (laughs) If only winter can just stretch a little longer. Mm. Um, The journey of filmmaking, uh, when when, when you want to start a project, can you touch on like the nuances, the the whole creation or creative process? What what goes first, the wheel or the... I forgot what the saying is, but... um, Anyway, the cog or the wheel, yeah. yeah, 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 like the wheel or the barrel, barrel or, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, whatever that saying is. Yeah, yeah, we'll find out what it yeah. is. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm too raw to like 
find the perfect. But anyway, yeah. you know what I'm going. Um, it's a funny thing. I mean, <clears throat> there's no rhyme or reason for it. Like with the creative process, at least for me, um, it's more. I feel the urge to express something that is something that's very personal, and how am I going to do that? And why? More important than anything for me in my process is like why. Why do I want to say this, or why do I want to tell this story? You know, and um, the journey is to answer that question. And sometimes, you know, the process is cut short because you couldn't answer it. And then um, other times, you continue and you're down this rabbit hole, and then you're down that rabbit hole, and then you find yourself here and you go there. And um, so for me, it's a very personal kind of process that comes out. It's not like I mean, the story of this film, specifically speaking, which is um, my feature film, it's called um, Anosawagi. And, um, my Driver and I. Yes, exactly. Is that, that the correct translation? That's in the English? correct, yeah, exactly, My Driver and I. Um, the whole s idea was born uh, because I had a driver uh, growing up, uh, Mahideen, who was uh, from Sudan. He was basically with me from the day I was born. He picked up my mom from the hospital the day I was born and drove her home and literally was a part of my life throughout my whole journey. Um, and in 2005, when I was in film school, I got a phone call saying that he had just suddenly passed away. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks that I took this person for granted. I assumed he was going to be there for the rest of my life. But I also began to reflect on the impact he had on my life and how I never got the chance to thank him or even know um, so much about his life. Even though we had a very close relationship, I just assumed you know, he'd be there forever. And he was monumental in my life because he lived with me throughout the passing of both parents. And were it not the grace of God and partly him, he was able to kind of contain the mess <laughs> I was um, back in those days. So that's why I decided to make the film as an homage to him. But also underlying all of this, I like um, stories, love stories, platonic love stories that bring two people from completely different walks of lives. You know, like this is intergenerational, uh, separate genders, different backgrounds, different ages, you know, and we developed this beautiful friendship. Um, and he was my best friend. I spent more time with him than I did with anyone else. I mean, you know, <laughs> every morning and every afternoon, you know. Um, it's elementary school we went to. It's a good 30, 45 minutes. Uh, yeah. If you're living in center of town to get all the way there. Yeah, and yeah. I went there throughout. Like I went from second grade until I graduated. So, oh wow! Yeah, until, the, until you were eighteen. Yeah, until well, I graduated early. I was seventeen, but yeah. Because you're a smart one. Um. <laughs> so every day, yeah, of course you you build you build a bond with yeah. that person. Yeah. And he let me get away with a lot of things, you know. When you know he used to go racing with the cute boys that I liked, and you know took me to have the ice cream so I can do this, but at the same time made sure that there were certain boundaries I didn't cross and and he was the keeper of my secrets. I mean, he knew everything um, about my life. So 
that was the process of it. It was kind of, I want to tell the story and what is behind the story. And not only that, like, I'm at this age where I'm a bit nostalgic for the olden days, as my niece called them, calls them. She's like, in the olden days, I'm like, I'm not that old. When you didn't have internet, yes. yes. Um, so and to capture, a, yeah. It's about that relationship, yeah. friendship. And, yeah, and to capture that moment in time, you know, like when, you know, I was born in 1980. Like, I think public life was curbed completely from that point onwards. So everything was private, right? It was all in our homes and the homes got bigger and bigger to accommodate everything that we want to do. But also within those homes, we had people from all over the world who came to work for us. Yeah. But these people were these pe were not just workers. We always called them Ahl al-Bayt, yeah. you know, like the people, you know, who lived in the house with us. So it was a familial kind of relationship. And like I said, he was with me from the day I was born until he passed away. My mom's driver is still with us. He's older like than my oldest brother like so it's plus 50 years um and that kind of environment that we grew up in i wanted to put it in a kind of a story that tells all of that and um to be able to also show um maybe we didn't drive but what is the yeah. <laughs> other side of you know uh obviously i grew up in a very privileged background so i have to preface it by saying that but that's also my personal experience and what i can bring to it so, and overall, it has a lot to do with grief. So when you grieve someone, how can you? That was a big part of my life journey, um, I think, was to be able to drop into a state of love that holds the grief. You know, instead of fighting with the grief, fight with the anger, fight with my moodiness, the love kind of just can encompass all of that. Um, this is a, as, as personal of a project that it gets mm -hmm. uh for you your heart and soul is is into this do you have someone playing you well it's not me specifically it's inspired because okay. there's so many changes actually to the script um in the script um she's an only girl and um her mom is um palestinian lebanese it's an aunt to my husband and my son um so there's a different changes but uh, I have an amazing actress amazing actress because we also have two different ages um, I have a seven-year-old and a 17 year old because the film like spans oh, you play with time yeah she, okay yeah um, so you move kind of it's a coming of age so you see where the beginning happens and stuff but I've been amazed by the talent I mean um, uh, the girl uh, the adult uh, who's playing um, Selma that's her name uh, in the film. Um, her name is Zrula Dakhilallah, and she is absolutely phenomenal. She blows me away. And then the Where little she girl, from? she's Saudi. Saudi, they're both Saudi. And uh, the little girl's name is Tara Hakim, she's seven years old. You should see what this girl can do, it's mind blowing. <laughs> mind blowing. I can I attend like a, a day when you're shooting, like set? Yes, we have five. Four more days left, so okay. Any of you know, starting tomorrow till Saturday. Please, yeah. A day where it would be potentially least stress you know for who's you. Who's with us as well? Who? Mishal Tamer. No way. Yeah, he's playing the love interest. Interesting, yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's a great episode on the show. Yeah, he, mashallah, he just he is mashallah to Barakallah. Knock on wood, like just such um, 
a wonderful, yeah. wonderful human being yeah. and just so talented and so, talented. so full of drive and energy. He has it. He has it. He has it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not only that, he has the discipline. He has the um, the tenacity. He goes for it. You know, like I know a lot of kids his age. I mean, I know when I was his age, God knows what I was doing. Um, so it's so beautiful to see um, and to bring all these talents together, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. We also have Qusay Khadr. I don't know if you know him. Um, I don't very know. famous rapper. Of oh, Qusay, yeah. Yes. I didn't know his last name was Khadr. Yes. Of course, Qusay. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. He's yes. Uh, yeah. a legend. The face of rap of Saudi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. he's and he's a phenomenal actor as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's so nice to be working with all these people and to watch all of them um, put their heart and soul. Like it really is a heart opener, especially after all those years of mm. struggle. Um, to be able to, it almost makes all of it worth it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, what's the hardest part in, in in putting it all together, between the writing and the days of shooting and the editing and the? I mean, for me, it all starts with the writing, right? So the writing is kind of like a a pregnancy you know you gestate you sit with it you kind of play with it you have to carry it for a little bit and then finally something comes out that speaks to what you're trying to say because um my process is <laughs> and excuse my words but i vomit a lot you know and then i have to clean up the vomit because there's a lot of ideas about how i should say this or what i want to do or where is this saying or what is it where am i going with this you know um so that's kind of a hard process um, between me and myself mm -hmm. to go through. But then also, obviously, it's very hard to kind of package the film and try to find um, the support, the financial support, the people. The, I mean, in the past, it was always like, how are you going to make a Saudi film when there are no cinemas in Saudi? You know, that was like always anyone who came back uh, said that. Um, and then now it's just another different ball game where I have a very high standard that I like to to work with and especially when I'm putting something out there in the world like um, and I will not be low-balled not in my um, fees not in the production none of it so it's very hard to find people who are willing to put in the right amount a lot of people try to like in my experience and in the journey to make this film uh, until I found the right partners, it was a lot of it was like, uh, no, this is too much. This is too much. We don't want it. And you're like, I'm like, guys, Saudi's expensive. It's not what you think it is. Besides, there's no, the industry is not yet here. You know, it's opened up, but I'm not talking about actors and directors. I'm talking about technicians and lighting and production designers. And, not any cheap. And, and, no, and you got to bring in people who know how to work on film because people who work in commercials it's a very different ball game very i mean our timings are so different we shoot four to five scenes a day they get to shoot like 30 seconds in three days you know so the speed that we work out is very different and for this it's like a, a ship you know you got to run it very tightly and you have to have proper professionals yeah. to do that so that's kind of what i faced in the beginning was like how to kind of make ends meet and you know, build up the budget and how do you sell this film and how do you do all the business side of it. Uh, but I'm very lucky to work with amazing producers, like mm -hmm. phenomenal producers, a team from the UK, um, 
we also have um, Hani Farsi Karnish uh, Media with us on board. Um, Essentially, the investors of the picture. Uh, no, they're the producers that helped me find the money, and then we found our home in OSN. OSN is supporting the film. It's an OSN um, original, one of the first, and it's just so lovely to find people who are in sync with the vision, with the idea, uh, with what I want to put out there, and not only that, really supporting of it, and really, I mean, because it's hard here. I'm so used to working abroad. So there's a standard that I'm used to, and there's a protocol that I'm used to, and that's slowly being introduced here. But I think we're still in a transition period. You know, there are like I call the dinosaurs, you know, um, in the industry who are still trying to do things in a very primitive. Yes, yeah. let's just say primitive. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so we've been so lucky, and the BFI actually put some money into it. So it's a, a British. The British Saudi. film. Mm-hmm. This is this is some great names you've yeah, landed. Yeah, and the Red Sea as well, which was really amazing. We got um, quite a bit from them, which is really nice to kind of package this film and um, put it together to mm. be able to get to the stage. And that was my favorite part, was being on set. Yeah, I just love it. Feel most alive? Then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm telling you, I work for 12 hours, 15 hours. I'm going like an energizer bunny. Usually I'm never like that. Passion is what uh, will push you to be on set for 12 to 15 hours a day, which is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, and also having the right team. You know, I have, like I said, phenomenal team. Many of them are a lot smarter than I am, which I'm so happy about because, you know, the film is not the work of one. Mm. It's the work of every single person on that set, you know, from the director to the guys who are picking up the garbage. If these things, and in every everyone in between. Um, so I've been so lucky. Mm. I feel so blessed. I'm just so happy to see that the film business is 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 really, <laughs> to touch on what you said, coming of age. It is coming of age. I mean, it was one thing or maybe almost nothing 10 years ago. And now, you know, we have a movie like Hamur that we touched on earlier. Mm-hmm. And that looks like a Hollywood production. Um, and I can't wait to see yours. I, I have no doubt it's going to be, you know, on the on that Hollywood level production. And 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 I hope that's the standard going forward. Mm. This space was non-existent, and today, me as a, a movie lover, I'm comparing it to you know people who have been doing it for hundreds of years. Yeah, and also out, so much outside of Hollywood. I mean, I think honestly, the film industry in Hollywood is like on its way on a down. Yeah, yeah, well, you would know. How yeah, to, yeah. Um, but world cinema is, is just amazing. Some of the films, like you said, like coming out of Korea, Korea that's yeah. coming out the Arab world there's so many great films that came out in the last couple of years yeah. and really pretty much anywhere you look like um, there's like some great great world cinema right now um, that's coming out and it's so nice to be able to put our name out there and, Truly. And, you know the, the Turks and, and the Egyptians I think led the way for the longest time yeah I mean the Egyptians started way with big Hollywood. industry yeah yeah, yeah 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 it's it's a mammoth of an industry I mean and like you can't discount India of course they put out the oh, most God, films yeah, yeah. ever you know yeah. like, some of the movies that came from their line and, and Slumdog are two that come to mind I, I, I love like I love that kind of storytelling yeah Lion I mean I don't know which one I love more but I think it was probably by the same producers had the same actor yeah 
Uh, yeah, Patel. Yeah. yeah, Patel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just I said Turkey because the the shows that come, the, the the dub shows that every mother in Saudi loves watching. Yeah. Is is you know came out of Turkey. Yeah. Which was uh, which was new for me to see. I'm talking like maybe for the past ten years. Yeah, I mean what they've done here. I remember like the the first one that came out, Mohammed Al Noor, mm-hmm. was just such a phenomenon. Yeah. Everyone was like staying at home. <laughs> To, to watch it and yes. I remember I used to come and visit and they're like no no we can't come out we're watching the episode I'm like seriously wow yeah Harima Sultana I mean and Harima yeah. Sultan, of course I watched that one yeah. I'm so interested in history as well so to me like anything that's um, historic is yeah uh, yeah gravitates yeah um, what's next after this movie do you take it one at a time or do you have like a one at a time yeah. so you don't know what you're doing after this no i'm i just want to go back and see my son now and my husband and spend time with them finish editing this film you know put it out there and then we'll see what happens you know how long have you been away from them for since the beginning of january but they came to visit okay thank so, god yeah we broke it up a little bit I was gonna um, say it must be tough for you to be away from your three-year-old yeah it's really tough because we were inseparable yeah you know with covid and everything and i didn't have any help either so it was like mm. pretty much hands-on hands on, yeah but thank god for facetime yeah 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 thank god and i also think i needed this 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 break um to kind of be able to just come and 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 do something that i love and also have the distance you know because Um, it's funny the week they were here was amazing but it was also the most exhausting week I've had because you know I come back I leave the house at five in the morning I don't come back until like six in the afternoon and you have to be mommy until they go to bed yeah you you don't have a minute to yourself yeah exactly yeah a human behavior that bothers you the most greed I don't understand it do you see it a lot in in your line work or just yes. in life walks of life in walks of life you see it like people who are insatiable you know there's no ending to where <laughs> what they want um i don't understand that it's the whole it's the whole me first attitude yeah but also like don't i mean it reaches a stage where you're like okay when is enough right like how much money are you gonna hoard how much money are you gonna make how much things are you how many houses are you going to own you don't even have the time to live in those houses like <laughs> what's the what's the point you know and not only that like why are you looking at yourself as so separate i think that is a big thing for me is that the whole world everything in this life you know with humans the earth everything is connected we are even connected to everything out there in the universe so um so greed is one of them injustice for sure mm. yeah disrespect I don't like disrespect, and I think that's my one trigger. I will lose it if someone disrespects me or disrespects someone in front of me. Like, I just, it's a big, big trigger for me. Like, it doesn't matter where you are in life. Being respectful is for free, (laughs) and any human being deserves that. Any human being deserves that. It's easy to pick up on disrespect. Yeah. Very easy. Yeah. You just, and this, that's why it's important if you're going to get into business with someone, if you are going to, you know, potentially marry someone and you want to get to know them well, spending some time with them and to see how they treat people around you, wait, the waiting staff. Yeah. That's a big, big one is, for me. Is, yeah, is the quickest way, yeah. the entry level to see you know, where is their level of operation at? How are you going to speak to the waiter? Yeah. 
and and I almost and if I'm looking like if I want to look through someone um and and the mistake happens at at a lunch I'm very quick to observe that person yeah yeah it's almost like if you want to know if you really want to know the true colors of someone you can almost like go to a restaurant and have a deal with the waiter to make an error just to see how you're going to respond to that error yeah you're going to lose it because you're going to lose it on this then you're probably not the person I want to get into business with a hundred percent a hundred percent and not only that it's only an indication that you don't respect yourself yeah. so if, the, if you respect yourself you respect it's an inner complexity yeah you're right yeah everything is a projection you know and every relationship is a two-way street. There's no way you can say um, they are just this way. You know, even the person who appears in your life who drives you crazy. That's something inside of you that's showing that, you know, and Absolutely. triggering that and projecting Absolutely. that. And it's like, how do you find a way to, if you can't take it so much, which I, I'm not saying that I can, I just take myself out of the situation or out of the... The relationship or whatever it is but um there's nothing that's just there you know or randomly there i love what you said that uh the world is a projection mm. because it's it really is the world just reflects your own feelings back at you yeah yeah if you're an unhappy person everything you do will be an unhappy experience yeah one of my yoga teachers told the story and i'll share it with you it really resonated with me and um it goes like this. You have a beautiful front yard that you take care of very well. Your flowers are growing there, your produce, your um, all sorts of things. You know, it's your pride and joy. And one day you go out and you come back and you found that a truck full of shit was dumped in your front yard. <laughs> now, naturally, you're going to be upset. You're going to be angry. You're going to be... All these things in the beginning. Who did this? Try to find who did it. Try to find why. And all of these things. And meanwhile, you're entering the house, walking through this shit, and walking out of the house, walking through this shit, carrying your shit, the shit around, because you're just in it, you know, and circulating it. <laughs> um, until one day, you decide to dig up your backyard and start hauling all that shit into the backyard. And then one day all that shit turns into fertilizer and your backyard is the most beautiful garden awesome. there is. It, it, it's just, it was one of those stories that just brought everything <laughs> um, to me and it really resonated. And I think that's our journey. You know, it's, it's part of our journey to go to suffer. It's part of our journey to, to do all these, but it's up to us to also make the decision to not live that way yeah you know and what are you going to do about it yeah that's why i feel like it's important to delay your reaction when anything happens the strongest people are the calmest people in the room mm -hmm. i've seen examples when people hit the roof when something happens and they find out it actually wasn't worth that mm -hmm. but congratulations you just knocked off two years from your life yeah. Because you raise your blood pressure through the roof. Yeah. And a lot of people who are just calm in every situation. You know, like it's just It's real power. Yeah. In in in, in remaining calm. Take power over your mind. You know, my other yoga teacher always used to say, Mind your own business. And I mean it as in mind hmm. your own business. 
Yeah. Your mind is your own business. So if you can mm -hmm. take the time to just take those couple of seconds to just breathe and allow yourself to take in the situation. Yeah. And I think it's a lifelong practice. Um, it it's a lifelong practice. Um, I aspire to be that person because I used to be like just a firecracker very easily. Like you can just light me up, you know? Um, and I've learned the hard way to be softer. You know, it's like a, a tree branch, you know? You want to go with the wind. You want to bend. You don't want to break. Yeah. If you're so hard, you'll break. But you want to be able to go this way and yeah. that way and flexibility. Sway. And I think that's really the key to staying younger. It's not about any of this. It's about this and being flexible. Yeah. And you just find that with time, what bothers you won't bother you as much. And... Uh, and, and as we touched on in the beginning, that some things aren't worth you losing your mind over. Uh, and, and, and peace or, yeah, I mean. But also is... the flip side of that is when you do lose your mind, be compassionate with yourself. Mm -hmm. Because nothing exists uh, without a shadow every light comes with a shadow and we all have a shadow side in order to be to have our full human experience you need to be able to love you know your demons even when they come out and not let the shame drag you because there's absolutely no such thing as perfect we're perfect already there's no perfection to be reached we're all a work in progress but we're not we're already complete it's a that's the paradox of life yeah it's funny it's it's almost like contradicting, but yeah. It's... Yeah, but that, that's the, the funny thing about life. You know, if you can be able to kind of move beyond the duality and see the duality, like see that, you know, for light to exist, there needs to be darkness mm -hmm. and vice versa. Uh, for black, there needs to be white, you know, for... Dichotomy. Yeah, the dichotomy of it all, you know, and to be able to like embrace it and understand that all of it is part of the human experience because also there's this positive toxicity that is really um, prevalent nowadays, you know, where people deny themselves certain things or they beat themselves up for just being human. <laughs> How human is it to be angry, right? It's a natural thing. True. We've labeled it as negative because it doesn't fit with us socially. Yeah. But anger is a great drive if you're able to see it for what it is, acknowledge it, and as they say, transform it into something and not take it out on your body or on someone else or in violence. or. But it's there for a reason. Like It's an emotion. Yeah. Deal with it when it comes. Yeah. yeah. And emotions are like clouds. They just keep moving and changing. You know, the way you wake up, you might wake up feeling bad, you know, you listen to good music and then all of a sudden you're feeling much better and that's the monkey. <laughs> it's the uh, running away from discomfort that I would like to advise the up and coming generation. You know what? Some of the some of the days that will mold you for life are the ones that were uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And yet we 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 yearn and strive for comfort. No, life is supposed to be hard. Mm -hmm. Life Look is at dangerous. any guy. 
life is life is it's dangerous life is not like no. no i mean and we're very lucky you know because there are millions and millions of people who wake up every day and i don't know and don't have the means to feed themselves and that's the only thing they get to do all day long is worry about how they're going to feed themselves or shelter yeah. or any of it so um it's a funny thing uh, do you know Sadhguru? yes yes yeah, I, one of my favorite things he's ever said, he said, hungry, one problem. Not hungry, hundred problems. <laughs> How about that? Mm. Yeah. So we're also very privileged. Um, I think I keep reminding myself whenever I'm in that rut, heading down the darkness um, or down that rabbit hole of why is this happening to me and I'm a victim to all of it. I just keep reminding myself that I actually have it pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. Yeah. If you know where your meals are coming from, you're not being shot at. You have a roof over your head. You have internet connection. I'll, I'll throw that last one in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you at this point. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think you have anything to complain about. Yeah. And and I, ref I reject any challenges that come my way. I don't think you have anything to complain about. Yeah. Because the moment you look at the less fortunate, you will then be humbled. Yeah. When do we get unhappy? When we look at let's call them the more for or the person who has and I have X minus. Yeah. Comparison. Social media is a big contributor to that. Mm -hmm. it's, a tool for, it's a tool for comparison. Yes, 100%. And when you're not on social media, you don't take that many photos of yourself and you don't get to actually look at all the things that are coming on how many lines and how many things and like just stop looking at yourself in the mirror, you know? The problem is it's as standard as shoes for the up and coming generation. Mm. That's... The, that's the scary part yeah i mean it's not something that we can i think stop or resist or anything but i think as much as you can you you try to they have every generation has its own challenges right um and especially this generation they have so many challenges that are scary because they're foreign to us but one way or another they find a way around it and i don't think the bubble we're in will last i think it's going to burst pretty soon because it's reached a stage of i mean it's just too big for it to go anywhere you can't just keep feeding it and feeding it and feeding it and feeding it and not expect it to burst at some point we're talking about social media yeah you think that one day we'll live in a world where it doesn't exist anymore no I, i'm not saying that it doesn't exist but it's it's a, not as centralized. It'll be decentralized. It'll be maybe a bit more regulated, maybe a bit more, you know, like if you think of the Industrial Revolution, right? When they started writing trains and automobiles and all that kind of stuff, um, they were like getting on these things and inhaling all these fumes, right? Mm -hmm. And they were still doing it. That's kind of where we are. We're in this information revolution. So we're still... It's unrefined. It's unrefined, and, and it takes time for these things to get refined. And at the same time, it's never going to reach the stage where it's utopic. You know, darkness exists in this world. There's no way around it. But it's where you choose to put your energy, what you're trying to do, you know. And everyone makes their own choice at the end of the day. Like, no one's going to force anyone to do anything. I think that's also a big part of it, you know. Sometimes people need to do it. Anytime I tell people I'm not on social media, the first thing they say, oh, my God, you're so lucky, but I have to do it because of my work. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not shaming you. I just don't have an Instagram handle. If you're yes. <laughs> just answering your question, like, are you on Instagram? No, I'm not. Then they have to justify why they are. With it, why they're, yeah. So, 
<clears throat> is happiness the end all and be all? Define happiness. A state where you feel like you don't need anything else. No, peace. Peace. Is the end all, be all. Yeah. There's nothing like peace of mind. Happy is also like up, you mm -hmm. know. Peace is the end goal. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you find peace and are you at it? Um, I don't think it's also a fixed point that you find. It's a moving point. So there are moments that I do find peace and other moments where it escapes me. It's like a dance and you got to keep practicing your yeah. moves until you find it and developing the tools that sort of bring you or bring me peace. That's important to me, my peace of mind, because my mind goes at a rate that's just sometimes too much, you know? Um, and I think maybe I didn't find peace, but I've definitely turned a corner. And now I've also prioritized, you know, it's a priority in my life. It's no longer, it's not money, it's not this, it's not any of that stuff that takes uh, precedent. It's like what brings me peace of mind. I got the saying wrong last time. Um, Nawaz said, happiness is peace at rest and peace is happiness in motion. Mm -hmm. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Happiness, peace at rest. And then peace is happiness in motion. Anything you do, if you're a happy person, is going to be a peaceful activity. Mm. Uh, yeah, and health, you know, on all levels, you know, physical, mental, spiritual health. I think these are the two things that really mean everything. Everything. It's everything. Because even if you have all the money in the world, if yeah. you're not healthy, then there's nothing. Sick you know? person wants one thing. Yeah, exactly. So. Biggest lesson learned along the way of the journey of Ahad? There's plenty, but I would go back to loving my grief, learning to love grief. Dating back to when you lost your father first? Um, actually, it dates back even further. I had um, a sister who was uh, born before me, and she drowned in the pool when she was a year and a half, and my I came soon after her her death so she drowned in 79 and I was born in 1980 and I was named after her really yeah so I think from right from the beginning there was uh, a lot of grief that I um, experienced because of you know Growing in a grieving womb. Growing in it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, all of that kind of stuff. But not only that, like spending a couple of years of my life being compared to someone um, who's not around. <laughs> um, I, I never knew about this. Yeah. A lot of people don't know about this. But um, so but yeah, it's a big part of my story. So you're Ahad the second. Yeah. Do your parents speak to you about her? Do you remember them speaking to you about her? They did, yes, when I grew up. Um, and very soon after, like I think the age of five, it was just the Tanya kind of just dropped. Yeah. Um, and I took ownership of the name. But now being a parent, I can't imagine Can you, what they went through. That's my mind. I, I was just about to ask can't you. can't imagine what they went through. Like, but that's I, also another full circle moment for me. When I gave birth to my son in that moment, it was like, Mom, I love you. Yeah. I mean, you had three other children, you were pregnant, 
you know, you didn't have space to grieve back then. No one, you know, they don't have, they didn't have the the awareness that we do have now about anything. It's just get on with your life. You know, I can only imagine what that did to her. Like, I, I can't, I mean, my son has a cold and I yeah. fall apart. So, so much respect for them and so much love. They gave me everything they knew how to give. But it was part of my story. It was part of the contract my soul made, <laughs> you know, to come into this life. It was like, you got to learn these lessons. It's probably something like it's just impossible to forgive yourself for. That they had to go through. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. Uh... Yeah, I mean, you can. I can't wrap my brain around it. No. And, and I have so much more love and respect and um, admiration for everything they've done even though it had its challenges growing up and created x number of traumas for me but that was part of the the whole journey um to go through it you mentioned alhamdulillah you know being born into privilege and all that but it's been a bumpy road for you it hasn't been an, an easy life uh, in, in losing both parents when you're a teenager yeah um and and do you really feel that in the, what you had to go through made you the the, the person you are today yeah a hundred percent yeah and it's all part of the story right I don't want to change I never want to change, change anything, anything you know um maybe if I can go back to my younger self and be like just don't be so anxious mm. Things will work out just and learn to love yourself. How would you battle an anxious feelings or anxieties? No. Yeah. How would you uh, diffuse feelings of anxiety? Breathing. That's it. That's the easiest key. Mm. There's nothing more that you can do. You could just be like. Because we don't focus on that. No, but this is our only connection to life. Yep. We don't. Yeah, mm -hmm. we, we breathe subconsciously yeah every day yeah yeah and that was a big part of the healing journey for me was learning that i don't know how to breathe mm -hmm. and i worked with um a therapist who did uh somatic experiencing and somatic healing so there isn't much talking about what the story is it's like more about what is it where do you feel it in your body yeah why are you holding your breath can you breathe into it or if you're not like what is the experience your inner life right now what is going on what color is it what is it you know and it was very hard in the beginning to not start going to the intellectual side and start making up stories about why I'm feeling certain ways um, so it was like a, a long kind of like a what it was a five-year journey to learn how to get to that stage yeah. and also all other forms as well like craniosacral um yoga is a big part you know and i'm not talking about just asana practice um i can't do an hour and a half of yoga on a daily basis anymore i used to do that when i had the time and um the energy now it's all about breathing um meditating but not even meditating just you know, sitting like that, but just being able to drop into a space where you're just in that moment 
moment to moment to moment to moment to moment because a lot of people are like I don't meditate and I keep telling people meditation is not a doing <laughs> you don't do meditation it's doing nothing it's yeah but it's not even not do doing nothing it's just watching it's witnessing that's what meditation is it's witnessing the thoughts that are coming through your brain like the clouds without judging them without attaching stories to them whatever that's why it's a very hard practice mm. because it's not um it's the undoing <laughs> undoing yeah biggest life goals for you going forward health alhamdulillah um if my son is healthy and happy and good i don't have a lot of big goals in life really like i've learned my lesson <laughs> tell god your goals <laughs> and watch them one movie at a time and one movie at a time no alhamdulillah yani i think <clears throat> um just a good healthy life i'm happy with that you know and the, on my deathbed um I just want to say I experienced it all and not only that I made and met the best people I could ever my life's honors and the relationships that I make and I am very happy to say that my greatest fortune are my friends like I have solid friends like it's important it's so I mean it's it's integral for me they have been um a big part of my journey um I would not be here uh without some of my friends um some of my family members as well like uh my mom's brother his wife um all these people who despite all the hardships that i went through you know god brought these people into my life and and they've always shown up and showed me unconditional love is that who you share your success with They, yeah. and my family of course my husband and my son big part of it mm -hmm. uh, that's what makes me really happy his his laughter his smile his little yeah, antics everything you know? yeah everything. his his now english accent because we were in london <laughs> so, can't reach it mommy oh, i can't wow. reach it yeah. that's what you know it's time to move back yeah exactly <laughs> i'm like it's, like it's wobbly i'm like what <laughs> oh my god yeah yeah mm. definitely and humor humor i think the greatest thing in life is to be able to laugh and to laugh at it all and to be with someone who makes you laugh and you make them oh, laugh yeah yeah, yeah yeah i can't be with someone who doesn't carries you it can it can carry the yeah i mean what is it i mean you're married you know it's not like the lust and the whatever and you, none of it lasts you have to be with someone who you can um enjoy their yeah be yeah. friends be with, friends be friends yeah with, yeah it's yeah. your best friend yeah you know and share common interests. that's what lasts yeah you're right yeah love yeah. comes and goes yeah anyone that tells you otherwise doesn't know what you're talking about yeah and learning how to like i say the best thing about my husband and i, I think is that we know how to fight too Because it's part of it, and with your friend, you will know how to fight without yeah. losing each other. Exactly. Uh, without losing disrespect or anything, but being able to um, handle conflict. 
and go through it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a big part of it. It's a big part of life. Yeah. <clears throat> Good luck with this uh, movie. Thank you. You uh, you're done in four or five days of shooting. Mm-hmm. And when do you think? How long does post production take? So there's not one specific answer for that. Uh, we I have a schedule that's going until the end of the summer, basically. And then depending on whether, you know, how things unfold and go with it. But I'm hoping, hoping like I'd have something by the end of the year, beginning of next year, and then go out premiere in a festival. God knows which one. I don't know. I'm not planning. I'm sure it will find its home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then hopefully it'll land um, in theaters and soon enough on OSM Plus. Amazing. Mm. Um, promise me you'll do the red carpet uh, when the movie is Oh, yeah. Out. If it's my movie, I Thank will go you. to the red carpet yes. 100 million percent, but I will not go and just walk it. I, no, no. Believe no. me, you have to pay me money to pay <laughs> wear heels now. There's no way. For this movie, when it's out, inshallah, really look forward to coming to see it. You're amazing. You're a trailblazer. You did this well before it became something that is acceptable. I said it in the beginning, I'll say it now. Um, I'm so proud. I'm really so proud of you. Habibi, I'm so proud. I'm so proud I get to sit across from you and to share this with you. I am proud of you too. I mean, you're trailblazing in other ways and and many other ways. So thank you so much for... um, you know, for this time and for listening. I yeah. really enjoyed this. And it was a real raw conversation, like mm. uh, a real, real, real conversation. I'm sure a lot of people would uh, would uh, just, you know, vibe it um, because uh, you your story is, is beautiful. And um, and let not let this not be the last time you Inshallah come on. Yeah. For you, I'll do any time. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you so much. Habibi, thank All you so best, much. All the best, yeah? Thank you. What do you think? I loved it. I really enjoyed where we went. Like it was like we're gonna go here and we're gonna go there wow. and here and